0: Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I am Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today we will continue in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, or Peter as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with 49 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. Mm -hmm. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure, it can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive.
1: That's all true. It is true. You want to say hi to everybody there. Say hello to my friends in New Jersey, and thank them for their sweet wishes and thoughts. Hi, watch the show. It's good. You're always in my heart. Anyway, um, we're going to be talking today about some uh, a subject that we talked about in episode show fifty eight. Fifty
0: eight, the last time we were here. Right. We introduced our our title, our subject was honoring and expressing our grief, why it's so important, and how to do it.
1: Right, and it's, a, it's, an, imp- it's an important part of life. Um, <clears throat> what, what I'm, I've also had some thoughts about that, and um, I like some of the things that we've, we've some of the commentaries that we've f- found on grief and loss and honoring the human condition. Something that, in our society, we've lost, we've lost. There's very little space in people's lives to take the time to go through a very intense experience, and I'm not talking about clinically, I mean humanly, of loss and grief. So we have put a lot of emphasis in it, and certainly at our institute we make sure people have the opportunity um, to deal with their grief in a safe place and give it some meaning, and purpose, um, and I find that to be so important. I've also it also threw me back to my old roots um, in Judaism uh, and the Old Testament, and how there were rituals set up to honor the human condition of grief and loss. And although I'm not a practicing Jew anymore, although I was raised as a very what they call a very observant Jew, um, a lot of it is in me. And um, it's important. Um, it's important in the sense of there really is an honoring of the human and a respect for the human condition and uh, it's given very special significance. and certainly in Old Testament Judaism, there really is. Um, and that means that that's a man that means a lot to me, although I don't practice the rituals by of themselves, I do have respect for them, and I have respect for what they respected. Unfortunately, I don't see a whole lot of that anymore, but plenty of people are grieving and dealing with loss, and they're lost because they don't know what to do with it. So um, we, we spent some very good time about it, reading some uh, introductory commentaries on it last week, which I thought were very good. It was a good discussion. I want to add another part. The other part is the impact of loss and grief on loved ones and caregivers. But one of the things that I realize is I don't think it's something we can just let go and and fall to the background. Because it's so important for folks to realize the impact and the powerful impact that losing a loved one and being involved with people that are dying and sick, um, how it affects caregivers. For caregivers, they've got to have some capacity, really, to tune into their emotional lives. They've got to know that this will affect them emotionally. They've also got to know that it affects them physically. And if they go in not willing to acknowledge that, um, they're going to find that it's going to bite them in the long run. So they need to have a way of recognizing the impact of the emotions, the psychology, the spirituality, and the biology, the body. And we did a lot of work on it, and I looked at it again, and I'm thinking, this just can't be um, allowed to fall to the background, because we want to make sure that we support lovingly um, folks that are either professional caregivers, first responders, um, folks that are going through caring for their loved ones who are sick and dying. We just don't want to be too dismissive of how much it puts a person through and how difficult it is. Um, it's something that the bond between a caregiver and a loved one is so strong that it goes beyond the, the, the visual. There's a, a heartfelt, a spiritual connection, a, a deepness, a depth of, of caring for one another. that um, It goes beyond words. But that needs to be respected because it has an incredible impact on the caregiver. And uh, I know I'm going through it with my wife. I'm going through it with my mother. We're helping so many people go through this. Uh, I say I must have it written on my forehead because there's people coming to us, and they're dealing with loss and grief, imminent loss. And I can, we can help them. I can help them. You can help them. Our staff can. But that doesn't, that doesn't... It's just all of a sudden, we are removed clinically and objectively, and don't feel these things. Not I think we we have more empathy and caring now than we've ever. I have that, and I know you have too, than mm-hmm. we've ever had before. Um, but to think that it's not going to affect us is not true. I just saw a couple of my friends. They're ninety years old. They're beloved friends of mine, and they were just. Uh, I love them, and they said at your podcast, "Don't forget." When you tell people three finger point three fingers at them, don't forget it goes it yeah, points back to you. It comes back to you. And they're so right. Yeah. Um, and I know that to be true.
0: And they meant it in a very caring Oh, they're very way. loving caring
1: yeah. way. They they look at me and they go, How are you taking care of yourself? Yes. And um, the truth of the matter is this is one of those kinds of relationships and caregiving where it is so easy to put yourself aside and not take care of yourself. And so not easy. even want to. Yes. And unfortunately, that's not a good route. And I can say I've been on that path and had to self-correct so many times already. And what it does is eventually it affects the body. The emotion of it is so intense. The feelings of loss and imminent loss are so intense um, that it does begin to affect your health and your body. The key really is awareness and connectedness with your own body and, and how the emotions show themselves through your body. So you can begin to ad- address it and make sure you address it, which will give you some sense of resilience. It Doesn't take the challenge and the difficulty away, but it gives you a certain resilience to deal with it of uh, some very very difficult um, emotions. So I don't want to just cut, just dismiss that. I want that to be included.
0: Yeah, no. I want to add that that the you're talking about the toll on the on the body of caregiving for a loved one. And uh, the emotional toll, because you feel so connected to this person and you care so much, there's that toll that we're going to talk more about, which maybe isn't quite as clear to everyone, or maybe it is. The other is exhaustion, physical exhaustion, again from not taking time for yourself, so you can have this physical drain on your body as well as the emotions which then also add to the physical and that's drain. called
1: compassion fatigue. Yes. And it's real. And when you don't take care of that, that moves into something more dire, and that's a burnout. <clears throat> You'll see the physical begin to deteriorate. Um, and the, why we see so
0: many caregivers... The statistics show so many caregivers can pass away even before the person they're caring that for. That
1: statistic is really... When I hear 63%, uh, it just it's a high statistic. Yeah. And yet, when I think back in my history, it's absolutely... I've seen it happen. So have. have you. Yeah, I have too. And I remember, uh, I, it makes me, I have a recollection of, now that I'm taking care of my wife, of my grandmother. And my grandfather taking care of her, and she went blind, and she had dementia, and and she seemed to completely debilitated. My grandfather died nine years before she did. And she was the one that looked so really devastated near death, eight or nine more years. But my grandfather passed away. How many times have we seen that in the last few years with caregivers? It does happen. It's a, such a, it's a devastating kind of situation to be in. <clears throat> even dealing with the incredible profession of caregiving, and I say that with such respect.
0: Right, and appreciation. And
1: appreciation. Now, I, I tell you the truth, I never would have had such involvement if I hadn't been going through it myself, even though clinically I've been taking care of people for almost 50 years. To be this immersed and to meet such fine people and to see what they're willing to go through and the love that they show and the nurturing and the nourishment to the relationship, as far as and skills, just astounds me. And I feel it's a real privilege uh, to, to know these folks. We've also seen that other cultures <clears throat> do a much better job Often. of caregiving than we do. Yes. And much better. Not that Americans can't do it. No. But other cultures have it built right in. As this is a part of life. And those caregivers, the ones that are really gifted, are truly precious. And we have one on our team from Fiji. She oh, is just a gift. But I can't agree more. She's amazing. She and her husband's a great. And, but everybody on our team is a gift, and not everybody's from other cultures. She's the only one from another culture. But I can see for her, she's got a skill level, but there's an empathy and a Depth of acceptance and understanding that goes beyond mine. Mm. And uh, she's quite a woman. She Martha, is. Oh, yeah. And her husband, Peter, is a t- fine man. Another yeah. caregiver. Yeah. So, I mean, we're learning to appreciate people that we never would have been involved with. The people from hospice, they're mm-hmm. angels. Yes. We have so many. Teresa, Ruth, Michael, Dr. Gary. I mean, there's so many. Uh, Michelle Danik is a a geriatrician. Honestly, these are amazing people. Um, They've taken a commitment and a calling to their lives that a lot of people would go the other way and want to avoid. And that's common too. Not these folks. They go for where they believe the need is and what they're called to uh, be involved with. And it's very difficult. Yes. But they're precious. Before, after discussing this a little bit, you said you had found another commentary. Um, and some of the things, were reflections of, uh, what was the name of the book
0: again? This is a, a, a book called Jewish Reflections on Death, and it's a collection of articles, papers, uh, edited by Jack Reamer. And uh, we read last time from it, it, was what we read was a very eloquent description of the emotional impact of the death of a loved one. How devastating that is in a description that was just just so um, uh, touching and, and right on target for what it, the, the raw feeling of that time. We found another one, and I, I will read that one too, but I think first, let's, uh, let's get this break out of the way. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. We are today returning to the topic of our last podcast about honoring and expressing grief, but we're adding to it today. We're adding the dimension of uh, the impact Mm -hmm. of loss and grief on family members and caregivers, and uh, not only physically from the care they're giving, but emotionally. From the deep connection that they carry with the person spiritually and
1: and energetically too
0: spiritually and energetically (coughs) that all of this uh can take a toll on the body as well Mm -hmm. um and this connection is is essential and worthy of respect and admiration and appreciation and we want to support those who are going through this and we are saying we're offering that the key is awareness to what's happening and by awareness, it's possible to become more resilient.
1: Well, you know that's the. I do want to say it's a dire, and you're going to read this. And and the, the Jewish reflections, and Jewish people are more engaged emotionally, and when they write, boy, you get a feeling for how they, how they, the emotions, and how they can really, how vividly they can describe them. The Jewish people in that culture, Italian culture, they have that. And this th- th- I know I grew up with that, but this book really reflects that. But the other part of the hope that's to me I do wanna We
0: don't wanna and, leave that out of the picture. No. No.
1: And you know what really is hopeful about this? As hard and devastating and agonizing as emotional grief is you deal with it in the right way and you take care of how it's affecting your body. You know what? You come out of it. And when as you come out of it, You you get your energy back. You get a certain kind of resilience back um, and hope that, wow, the emotion can be very dark and bleak and filled with discouragement and despair and all of these things that I know you're going to read about in a minute. But once you go through them and you deal with the body and you deal with getting that that emotion cleared from your body, um, and we do that all the time at our institute, you come out of it. It doesn't mean that the problem immediately goes away not at all it means you're in a different space and your emotions are not clouding your perspective or you're functioning anymore that's the key to staying resilient and it really does work even in the midst of these very dire very difficult and agonizing situations but i think you have something you want to
0: i'll read something here and and i He doesn't take it around the full circle the way that that we do, and Mm -hmm. so we'll want to add to this, but I'll start here. Um, This is from a section by Abraham Heschel. Mm -hmm. I think I'm saying his name correctly. And he starts by saying, The fact of dying must be a major factor in our understanding of living. Yet only few of us have come face-to-face with death as a problem or a challenge. Mm -hmm. There's a slowness, a delay, a neglect on our part to think about it. For the subject is not exciting, but rather strange and shocking. Mm -hmm. What characterizes modern man's attitude toward death is escapism, disregard of its harsh reality, Mm -hmm. even a tendency to obliterate grief. He is entering, however, on a new age of search for meaning of existence. Mm -hmm. Death is grim, harsh, cruel, a source of infinite grief. Our first reaction is consternation. We are stunned and distraught. Uh, and then he goes on uh, with his his take on where you can go from there, and it's a little different than where we go from here. And so you were talking about the process of going through it and coming through on the other side with hope.
1: Right. And I, we have a, a little different perspective, but it's, it's still <clears throat> is not dismissive of the agony of grief and pain. No. I don't want to be dis I can't be dismissive of it. Um, But I do want to say there is hope on the other side. Um, And it's not a hopeless outlook on life anymore. And yet we're talking about a condition of life when you're in it. Hopelessness, despair, discouragement, uh, the dark abyss of doubt and pain um, and all of these things is definitely part of the emotionality. And it's real. And it's got to be given its... Freedom and respect to allow that to come out and to allow it to, to have its expression in a in a way that's sacred and protected, and where the individual is going through it feels that they're in a safe place with safe people um, to go through it.
0: That's one of the values that you found in looking back on your 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 traditions of your heritage.
1: Yeah, although I felt their orthodoxy was too rigid, I do feel they have a deep respect for the human condition, and I don't see that too much anymore, I'll tell you that. That's what drew me back. Um, not, as a, not religiously, but the respect for the human condition.
0: And as this, providing this, what you call like a safe place.
1: And people have to have that. And a respect, yes. So they can let down. So I've talked to people, they lost loved ones, and... I was just talking to friends of mine and their, and their son, who's just lost his wife, and then now his son's got cancer. And I talked to him, and he's doing a lot of things to take care of himself. And I asked him, have you grieved? And he says, no. And it was three months since his wife died, and he loved her. He stayed right by her side to the end. And um, it wasn't that he was deliberately avoiding it. He just said, "It has it come up? But he, as we were talking, he says, it's beginning to. And that was three months. Mm-hmm. The, f- the one thing about grief is it doesn't come up the same way at the same time for everybody. Um, with the Judaic um, approach and the Old Testament approaches, they make sure that there is a time to sit, what they call sitting shiva, that goes on seven days. And where a person is given complete freedom to grieve in whatever form it takes. Um, and the focus just on the grief, not themselves, but on the love of the lost and the, and the grieving they're going through. And it, there's even rituals about how to talk to a grieving from the Old Testament commentaries on how to, t- to be there with the person who's in an act of grief. Mm-hmm. And I listen to it sometimes and I go, they're honoring the human. Uh, there's a sensitivity here. Mm-hmm. It may be a little too rigid and ritualized. I always felt that way. Um, some of my Jewish brothers and sisters wouldn't agree mm-hmm. but i felt that way but yet i felt there was a deep respect
0: and, and sensitivity. you were absolutely saying to this process and
1: i also they talked about needing um support and and i know this is true too that yes people need that that permission well, to grieve they may also need someone to help them pull out of it a little bit because what happens is it becomes such a deep abyss emotionally um, that it's sometimes very hard to pull out and find your way out again. And sometimes it takes other folks that have more perspective, who love us or care, to help us pull out, to shift us. And that's completely legitimate. Um, In the Jewish tradition, they talk about where you go from grieving to mourning, and that's called Kaddish. And they say Kaddish twice a day, at least the religious observant Jews do, like my dad and my relatives. And they do that for one year afterwards, but they're not allowed to grieve. And I used to think, personally, it was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And that's where Peter became very um, <laughs> cynical of what he was seeing. Yeah. Because I knew people who grieved longer than seven days, and they didn't have permission anymore to allow it to come up. And I find grief can come up out of nowhere.
0: You've said before that <clears throat> grief is not linear. No, it it's doesn't not. happen in a set step form. No, it, it can doesn't. come up and it can go. And, and
1: it does. Yes. So, I mean, you've got to have room for that, too. Um, so there's where Peter separated himself from some of the rituals of orthodoxy and uh, being an observant Jew. Because I know and I more I know today much more than then that that's hey wait a minute people need to grieve and it's so they got to have permission to, when it comes up to let them go, leave them alone let them do that and let them have that permission mm-hmm. so I I saw that would be put compartmentalized in a way that wasn't so good mm-hmm. but um, what, where we are today is we're respecting some of these old testament. Um, observances for respecting the human condition of grief and loss, but we're loosening it up, mm-hmm. and we're not—we're not, we're not going to get so rigid and compartmentalized and ritualized. I have trouble with those kind of things. We're, we're recognizing
0: we're, the value of, of allowing full flow of grief, but we're also recognizing that at sometimes you do need
1: to help pull someone out. I, I know it happens a lot, where it takes a one, another person to come alongside. <clears throat> to shift you to realize, hey, you can't stay in this abyss. You, it's very hard to find your way out unless you have people there that can kind of begin to shift you and get you back on track. It doesn't mean they're dismissive of what you're going through. It means you've got to go on with life and there will be another day. Now, for me to say that, I say it very cautiously and carefully because I also know how hard that is. Um, no one's dismissing. The impact of losing a loved one, no one, and this we're certainly not going to do that. I couldn't, <clears throat> because I sit here and I don't want to let go of my wife, and yet I know there'll be a day I have to let go. So I look at that and I go, I'm going to grieve. And I'm grieving in other ways because she's going through a deteriorating process, and that's called the... Um,
0: ambiguous Ugh. loss.
1: What's the point of having a PhD and being in this work 50 years? <laughs> I still. Can't. It's not one of those
0: rubber meets the road it words. Doesn't, it isn't. It's not a practical word. No kidding. No. It's a, it's a little too a, academic.
1: It is. And those ways. words don't sit well with me.
0: It is a good word, though. It it's captures a, it's this very, very important. well. Yes.
1: Because that's a word that honors the experience of grieving as a person is dying, as you're caring for someone, and they're still alive, and yet they're moving away and you the the relationship you had the person they were is going people that have had strokes dementia alzheimer's um, deteriorating physical conditions go through this and if you're a caregiver for them a loved one you know that you will grieve and that ambiguous grief is intense yes it's not all the time but it's it, it happens and one of the things that's a little confusing in your at least for our minds to compute is the person that you're grieving is still alive but the connection you have the person they were is going and moving further and further away until they reach their final day on this earth and they move on to another yeah. another, another another way but um, ambiguous grief, I feel, is a loss is very important to acknowledge because I've talked to so many people that are caregivers, and they're dealing with it. They don't—not n- everybody knows how to be honest with it.
0: No, no, it's, I, 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 you know, I, we were going to talk about this today, and I, I went and looked a, at a few definitions trying to find something that was be clear and helpful on on what What ambiguous and so many of them tended to be so clinical it was hard to find one but you know how i feel about that yeah so i don't want to go there but i think one theme that kind of went through them that that ambiguous grief or loss is a loss that's combined with uncertainty Mm -hmm. or confusion or no closure um what you were describing is, like, one example is for someone who is uh, married to someone with Alzheimer's mm-hmm. uh, or other type of dementia, and in physically they are still there, and yet the loss is still real because they are not the same person.
1: They're moving away.
0: They're moving away, like you said. And they say, people can say, am I still uh, do I still have this relationship that I had for so many years because this person no longer remembers me or recognizes me or mm. understands who I am? Yeah. Is this relationship still real?
1: That's part of the confusion, But intuitively and emotionally. The relationship, the person, so many things about it are deteriorating. So... Um, there is a grief that sets in and it's very intense as the person continues to deteriorate. You mentioned Alzheimer's or dementia. There are people I've seen go through this for 15 years before the person passes. I mean, it's a totally, it's a terminal disease. Mm -hmm. I've seen others. My wife is, I'd say, struggling now for at least eight, maybe a little longer. I may, I'm not exactly sure, but it's close. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, wow, it's been a long haul, and I'm still not ready personally to let her go. Now, I know I don't have the call on that one, but I want her to be around as long as she can. can. But yet, as far as our interaction, she barely can talk anymore. She can't see. Uh, she can't do anything for herself. But she's not in any pain. No, um, she's not really
0: no. in distress or pain. No,
1: I think I'm in much more pain than she is about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. But as far as having a relationship or... Having her close to me, we were very, very close. She's not there anymore, and she's moving further and further away. I think we're in the last phase now. That's very hard, and when the grief hits, it's intense. And it, over a long period of time, certainly has affected my health, and I'm a health nut. And yet I can see I've lost, since she's been sick, 13 pounds or 14 pounds. I've lost... Um you know, I could just see that it's taken a toll. My appetite isn't what it used to be. Um, there are lots of things that happen. Talk to people that go through this and watch what the, what it does, what what happens. So it's a very intense experience, and yet that's not the final grief. No. And I anticipate that, and I go, "Oh my God, look at this! Is so bad. Yeah. And so tough. How much worse can it what, get? What will that be like? And the truth is, for a while, it'll get worse. Yeah. But does it stay? Yeah. The answer is no. Um, even with ambiguous loss, um, what I discover is, is I do know how to deal with my emotions and my body, and I do know how to give myself that permission um, to deal with it privately, and I do. And when I, the intensity of any of the Jewish writings on it are absolutely a good description. They are. But I know something else. I know that deeper down, I'm going to get through it, and as these emotions are cleared from my body, I'm going to feel better and more resilient, and be able to come back to work, come back to dealing with my wife, can and appreciating life, mm-hmm. like i All of those things do come back.
0: Let's come back to that. Yeah. We've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. We were talking in our last segment about um, the different stages of grief and mourning and uh, how uh, a safe place and permission and uh, sensitivity are needed to allow people to grieve deeply when that time comes and then, if necessary, to help them move out of that and shift out of it uh, when it's time to to return somewhat to regular life and that this will happen over and over again. It's not a set pattern. Uh, everyone experiences this in different ways. Mm-hmm. We also began to talk about ambiguous loss and grief, uh, which is a loss that uh, can be for uh, someone who we care for is still alive, but in we are losing relationship with when mm-hmm. they are losing health and connection, uh, and how real that grief and loss is as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter, you were sharing uh, what this time feels like for you uh, as you are grieving for Lynn in this ambiguous loss of relationship and connection that you've had for so many years and looking ahead how will it feel when she's actually gone Uh, but you also are returning to what you always do which is hope and resilience and um, moving into another phase of your life that you can't see yet but you have have hope about.
1: And it gives me an energy um, that comes it always surprises me after all these years I'm still surprised that that comes back I come back <clears throat> with a sense of clarity and purpose and empathy that I didn't have before and for that I'm so appreciative my, I think my wife's legacy and now my mom is also 93 um, failing I'll be honest with you what's coming out of it is a, a connectedness with my fellow man uh, with appreciation of life and the things of life that are the little things, I don't think I ever, I know I didn't have it like I do now. And to be able to interact on a human level, to me is a gift. And I call it, it's Lynn's legacy, because she's, my wife is so sweet. This is not a difficult woman, this is a woman that's a testimonial to strength and perseverance and loveliness and kindness and generosity and selflessness. So that makes it even harder, because she is such a blessing. Um, so I look at all of that and, and, I, and yet I look at what comes out of it and it's very touching because I can I can talk to people and people can talk to me it is so nice not to work out of a clinical role anymore I can do it but I choose most of the time not to to be honest with you <clears throat> for those folks that um, can't handle it well oh, I can get into that other role but the truth of the matter is I'd rather not um, I really would. So I'd rather be with people that I don't have to do that with now.
0: I, I would like to give you a chance. You are a caregiver uh, for Lynn, among others on the team. Mm-hmm. And we started today uh, knowing that we wanted to add in the part of the challenge to caregivers and the toll that uh, yes. caregiving takes on uh, body, emotions, spirits... Mm-hmm. our spirit, um, and what you are talking about is resilience right now, mm-hmm. and um, let's get into that aspect a little deeper of the, the toll on the body and the mind from caregiving.
1: Well, that's just what I was going to get into. Um, I'm glad you made a nice segue into that. The, the thing that happens for folks that are caregivers is they're empath, a type of person that's a very caring engaged person, Uh, they're more sensitive, they're more receptive, Um, and because of that, they have great abilities for caring, and giving, and nurturing, and nourishment, and love, and selflessness, astounding. They also have a vulnerability, though, of taking on the energy, because they're giving all the time. And in these relationships that we're talking about, of course you have to give all the time because the person we are taking care of. That's what you're called to do. They don't have anything left to give. I mean, what can they give? So we're doing this, and it's an acceptance that you have to give, and you want to. And you want to give them the nourishment, the nurturing, the love, the selflessness, to make them feel comforted and safe and loved, right? Okay, and that's all perfect and wonderful. The problem is we take on the energy, We become depleted ourselves, and we're not always aware of it because we're looking at a person that needs everything we have and more.
0: We disregard ourselves. We can disregard ourselves.
1: Very easy to do that. And even though we know better, and self-care is so important, and I'm a so-called expert at that. I am no expert at times because self-care doesn't come up. I need other people to remind me how important it is for me to take care of myself. And don't think I don't appreciate it, because I know that I've lost sight of that, or I know that there's been I've lost sight, and I'm beginning to come out of it, but it took its toll. So there's there's an importance of understanding that um, we give a lot, and in giving a lot, you've got to know how to restore yourself. So we talk about resilience. We talk about how to read the body, and there's the energetic energy exchange, you know, our energy. There's the biological, how we feel physically, the emotions, the spirituality, all of this, and the psychology, all of this comes into play. We have to have an awareness of ourselves to know how these things work in ourselves. I've seen a lot of caregivers, they don't have all of this, and they don't have a a real respect for their emotional needs. Um... They really don't, or they don't have much understanding of what it's going to take. And this isn't a one shot deal, and you got it. It's something that's part of a process you have to deal with a lot. So, and it's very easy. Here I am, an expert, been in the caregiving business for almost 50 years, and I can assure you that I do forget. In fact, um, more than forget, I don't even want to remember. I want to take care of the person in front of me. But yet, the toll accumulates. What what we really need to have to happen is to be understanding of our own bodies. And the effect that these emotions have on our bodies, the energies, how they show up physically, what they feel like. We've got to know what ours are like um, with all of its history. We've got to know what's normal for us and what is the additional burden of taking on the energy and... And the grief. And the grief. Absolutely. And we've got to know that that's an addition Yes, and then that's going to take an even stronger. I don't know. I I think it takes an even a stronger toll. But the key really is you still got to recognize it, and then you have to deal. You got to deal with it. You got to take the time to do it. You got to know that these things have a, a, a the remnants begin to show themselves. I mean, you you think about giving and and uh, giving, 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 and depleted to the. Phew, down to your toes and what begins to come up is being overwhelmed and being I hate to say it but people get resentful mm-hmm. they start getting negative and that's the last thing you want to do in a relationship like this you want to be positive you want to be nourishing and nurturing and loving and selfless those are pretty wonderful things to do and yet the other part's part of us too And unless you begin to recognize it, it has a cumulative effect. The negative does. Mm -hmm. And the resentments begin to grow. And what usually happens that we've seen that leads to burnout, and we've seen this happen to so many people and caregivers, is that um, their presence and their impact starts getting pretty. It gets more and more negative. Um, We've seen it. I've experienced it. You've experienced it. um, Everybody we know has experienced it in some form. Fortunately, we're more committed to turning it around quickly because we want to be the best people we can. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know we don't want to study that. But we've seen too many times how that, if it's not taken care of, leads to a buildup of a, a buildup of anger. Yeah, And the stress levels get intense. I'll
0: just add, and I know just that this adds to the conflict that can happen in a family. If the family is doing the caregiving oh. for this person, that this type of thing not only affects one person, but it'll affect the whole picture for someone oh, caring. Oh, it can. And yeah. boy,
1: we've run into it. I've run into it. And, and this is a very vulnerable state to be in. And when you get the negativity building up and the anger and the resentment, it causes some really intense conflicts. Yes. Um... I I want to say I know how to deal with it. <clears throat> I'll tell you how I deal with it. If it gets too negative, I just cut it off. I will not let myself go there because I know how much energy it takes away from where I really need to put it. But it comes, and you just nailed it. That's a big, a big dimension to this: is family dynamics mm-hmm. um, mm, can be rough. Yeah. Um, wonderful team efforts are just the opposite, which we have. So that's a nice part of it, and we know how to put those teams together, but we also I know I have family that's not very pleasant and um I frankly don't have the time for it at time. I just tell them
0: mm-hmm. i don't have
1: time for this. I have to stay focused on what's really important doesn't mean it doesn't bother me no, I just said I have to regroup quickly. Um,
0: As you say, though, the good side of a team is that they can help each other become aware and 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 supportive of when someone has has taken themselves just a little too far and is getting overwhelmed or close to burnout.
1: absolutely. But what I also was going to say is that when you let the stresses and the negativity build up in your body, it will turn to anger. And that anger, if it's not dealt with in the ways we've talked about where you learn to... Get, it, get emotionally get rid of it in a way that you don't hurt other people and discharge it and get a catharsis and straighten your body out which we do in our institute and I've developed work over many years on how to do this what begins to happen is you'll get physical problems cardiovascular problems strokes I mean your immune system will start to deteriorate it can lead to serious de- de- degeneration and, and eventually de- uh, if you don't take care of it and it gets really bad we've seen them people not get through it so we know it's serious I want to say this there's a lot of people that don't aren't on this page they're going through it and they're not on this page at all no. when they hear about it they go "Geez, I hope I never have to deal with this they can be in the middle of it and say that they can see others dealing with it and, and you know it's going to happen to them It's it's a part of human condition and they go gosh, I hope I never have to go through what you're going through. And it's like everybody has to go through it at some point in some way. We've seen a lot of people not even want to get close to this.
0: Let's let's come back to that. Let's come back to that. You've been listening to The Survivor's Guide to Life on Mm -hmm. KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. We've been talking about the impact on caregivers of grief. uh, In addition to the heavy burden, it can be very satisfying, but the heavy burden of caring. Uh, Empaths are often caregivers, and they are excellent at nurturing, giving, uh, but they are also vulnerable at taking on too much and disregarding their needs physical, emotional, mm-hmm. spiritual. Right uh, and if this happens they can become overwhelmed and what builds up is resentment and anger, uh, can lead to conflict with other caregivers and family members and ultimately it can build up to be a physical uh, burden on their body They that can get sick uh, mm-hmm. and and the bodies start to break down. We wanted to return to that and, and, and just Want if you want to go here or not? I want to throw into the mix that we had talked about possibly um, somaticized grief. That's a big word, and the other was protracted grief, where people don't want to touch this subject, and that's kind of where you left off. So I don't know if either of those is something well, you wanted to get. I think to. we're on to
1: something a little closer to that because I was alluding to, or not alluding, speaking directly. We're talking about empaths, the folks that do engage and do give. And don't deny what's going on. <clears throat> There's a lot of, they have vulnerabilities and um, stumbling blocks. We all run into them as empaths. There's also a big part of um, the population that doesn't want to deal with this at all. And then is a denial. To listen to this broadcast today, they would turn it off in th- a minute. Yeah. It's yeah. too negative. No, I don't want to hear and, that. And um, I can, I understand but they're they're on the wrong track. We've seen it in families where there's certain family members. All of a sudden, they disappear and they're not having any part of it. They don't barely ad- admit to themselves or anybody else that it's it's happening, and that they're losing a dear and beloved one, a loved one. We've seen it happen to lots of people, and people that I've talked to say, "Geez, I don't. I hope I never have to go through that." And they're 80 years old, and they're talking like that. And I'm, I don't want to confront them enough, but part of me is saying. This is part of life. I mean, people do have to face these things. Many people and avoid this like a plague.
0: And they're setting themselves up for, for a devastating time. A crash. Yes. It's
1: going to be very serious. Mm-hmm. And those folks are so ill-equipped mm-hmm. a lot of times, and um, they become a liability to themselves. I've seen it happen where they're more of a burden to have around because they just don't want to know how to deal with these things. They don't want to. And when it finally hits them, their distraction for
0: a drain a drain on what's needed
1: oh and I've seen that and it's terrible Mm -hmm. because who has the energy to deal with them on top of everything else Mm -hmm. that's not so unusual so we do see that and for those folks they're sorely misguided about life and they're avoiding something that is going to eventually
0: come into their life
1: come into their life but you were talking about protracted grief too and um One of the things about protracted grief, and we've seen it because we've helped a lot of people who come to see us at the Institute, um, and these are folks that never stop grieving, or they never complete it, or they never allow themselves to even go through it. We've seen that that is a real serious situation because it follows them, and it begins to affect their whole life, and their relationships, their outlook, and... We've seen how destructive that can be.
0: I actually found a somewhat (coughs) helpful description for this. Uh, Let me read a little bit of it. Uh, The the grieving person who is in protracted grief is incapacitated by grief and so focused on the loss that it's difficult for them to care about much else. They can often ruminate about the death and long for being reunited with their loved one. They can feel unsure about who they are anymore and what their place is in the world. They develop a flat and dull outlook on life, feeling that the future holds no prospect of joy, satisfaction, or
1: pleasure. We've seen folks that way, but we've also seen another dimension to it. Where Some folks do not allow themselves to grieve, and so it lingers. It's buried
0: under the surface. It's buried. It's it's, very similar to this. Is it's just what are you? It's like a a cancer, and
1: it just begins to. It's like an infection that grows deeper and deeper and affects just the way that you described the outlook, Mm -hmm. how negative and angry and cynical and hopeless, and I mean in many aspects of their lives. um, That to me is trouble. So protracted grief is an issue. The one you're describing about is another one, and I've known people they can't get out of their grief, Mm -hmm. and it's consuming them. And the rest of their life, and I don't mean over a short period of time, begins to deteriorate. They lose interest. They don't engage. Mm -hmm. They're very negative and cynical and bitter and angry and resentful. Um, I've had people even say to me, and I know what they, you know, that um, friends of mine and their widows were mad at me because I was still alive and their loved one died. And they admitted it later that they were so mad at me because here I am still alive and the person they loved died.
0: Yeah.
1: And they can get very resentful and bitter. Something
0: that you understand, but... I
1: do. But still. I had more people that have done that apologize to me later on. Mm -hmm. But those are the folks that couldn't come out of it, and they stayed there a long time. Um, I've had others that... It's still so much a part of them. I, some person, I was talking to a lovely lady, and her husband has been gone now over 30 years, and she's been engaged three times. And she cannot consummate a relationship because she's still carrying the loss so deeply.
0: And she only recently, if I understand it, only recently is starting to wonder what this might be about.
1: Well, I assume that. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah. But I've seen that. I've heard that. And, you know, it's heartbreaking because these a nice this is a nice, I'm thinking of one lady, a yeah. lovely lady. Yeah. But she's a little, you're right, she's a little bit um, confused and questioning. Why did that happen? Each and that time? is
0: part of protracted grief. It
1: is. Yeah. And she. I could understand it, but no one ever got her through it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so she's still carrying that. And it triggers, obviously, as she gets closer and closer to a commitment, and she can't do it she yeah. just backs out for one reason or another or cuts the person off i've seen that many times mm-hmm. so we're talking about the destructive effects of protracted grief um so there's a time when you've got to help people come through it get through it it'll always be in their the the, the loss will always be deeply and in, in connected in their heart but they don't have the hope that they can go on with their lives they don't make any room For anybody else or anything else in life, it consumes them. That's very destructive. Mm -hmm. Can it happen? Yeah. And do I have empathy and sensitivity about it with people? Oh, yeah. But do I think it's okay to stay that way? And the answer is no. So they need help, they need support, they need caring, they need to recover which is what we specialize at the Institute on, is helping people recover from the trauma. And Mm -hmm. it is traumatic loss. Mm -hmm. Um, And helping them get back on their feet without denying what they're going through, without denying what's happened, without denying the loss that they carry in their hearts and the love in their hearts. Um, I've had a good friend uh, who passed away a number of years ago, and his, his, his wife, who is a wonderful caregiver, and it took her three and a half years of active grieving to be, be, get, get back on her track. A beautiful, wonderful lady. I adore her. And um, and she's got a, a, a very fine partner in life. No, they're not married, but you know they're they're very close. He's wonderful. He takes care of her. He's a good man. And when I talk to her, she talks about now she's sick now, mm. and she talks about well someday I'll be in heaven and I'll see my husband again. And she says it in a way that is so touching. Mm. And she's gone on with her life in many, many ways. And yet this is a very strong part of her, is that she wants to see her husband again in heaven. And she states that. She says to me, she was telling me she's very troubled spiritually right now about um, where she is. She's so, now she's dealing with her own cancer and her own and so she's coming to come grips with life and death now, not of her husband, but of herself. And when she talks, there's no there's no facades, there's no pretense. Everything is very authentic and real confused or troubled, yeah. But it's right out there, which can lead to some real healing.
0: That's the where the opportunity is.
1: Absolutely, yes. to share with people that yeah. can appreciate, respect, and show love and understanding. Absolutely. So... You know, when I say I have a deeper empathy now than I've ever had before, I mean, I can sit and talk to people, or they feel they can talk to me wherever we are, and they share with me. Mm-hmm. And um, it's that I have, I can be there. And when I say, I got it, I understand. I'm not just saying that as some kind of clinical dismissive uh, response. It's like I get it, and they know it.
0: No, the truth is in, in your not just in your words, but in, in who you are and in how you are present with people. Yeah. They and, know.
1: And to me, that's the gift.
0: And you know it in other people, too. I you do. You see it.
1: Oh, boy. Yeah. And that's a beauty, too. And it has nothing to do with academic levels and training medically or psychologically or whatever. Um, I have waitresses in town that I know. I adore them. and. They'll say, and they'll come up to me. I, I have one restaurant I go to. Uh, just love little nice people. Pretty tough girls. Gotta I mean, have they're, respect for them. They're biker girls. Yeah. And, you know, the uh, one of them that owns it, she's a tall, big girl. And she says to me, and she knows my wife, and she's so sweet. But she says, you know, nobody could understand what you're going through until they've been there themselves. And then she tells me she took care of her father, and I can't remember if it was her brother in a year and a half time and she and her sister took care and she says until you go through it nobody can truly understand how difficult and painful this is i mean
0: and the key there let me just say is that going through it that you you're she's talking about and you're talking about going through not only the burden and the pain and and the agony but going through it and finding out that you can come out the other side a changed person, a change. not untouched, but touched in a way that can make you more, more of a deeper, more meaningful life and person.
1: Absolutely. The, make you the better person you're meant to be. And I say that personally, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, in every way. And I do believe in that. And I, I look at that as a legacy for, of my wife. Um, there's a purpose to all of this. Do I think it doesn't evol- involve so much pain? But the truth of the matter is, I see the hope, I see the purpose, I see the improvement coming, and it's it, it touches my heart every day. So I'm very grateful. And when I meet other people that are like that, and there's so many, my gosh, they're right there. It's amazing. So. I see that a lot of good and a lot of hope can come out of this. And there's certainly more life to live. Um, but I will not be dismissive of the process you have to go through and the horror and the trauma of the emotionality of it. Oh, I wouldn't dismiss that in any way. For those that are thinking that this this can never happen to them or they don't want to look at it or deal with it in any way, my heart is going out to you. Because you're on the wrong track and you are going to get hit hard um, when this comes down because you've been, you haven't you have built up an arsenal of experience or anything um, or depth of understanding. So when it hits, you're going to be so ill-equipped. I would encourage people that want to run away, and there are so many, don't stop now. Take a look and, and engage with what's happening. Don't avoid it. As painful as it is. It is going to be an experience that you will carry in your heart and in the life of the rest of your life and will change you in such a, a good way. So I would say if you identify yourself as one of these folks that runs away, and there are so many, my message to you is rethink the direction that you've been going. Take a look at what's happening. Go back, engage, help, be involved. Yes, it's going to be very painful, but the outcome will not leave you with a burden of guilt and, and and remorse and resentment for the rest of your life. Or not resentment, but uh, 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 mostly remorse and repentance. You don't have to live that way. So I would suggest that you change your direction as quickly and dramatically as you can.
0: Thank you, Peter. Thank you for speaking from your heart. I am. And I hope that those who need to hear that are are taking it to heart. Thank you so much. The Survivor's Guide to Life is made possible through a grant from Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment, a 501c3 public charity that relies entirely on donations from people like you. If our podcast and the information we provide benefits you, please consider donating to us at Mm -hmm. www.sctraumatreatment.org and click on donations. We are also on Facebook and Instagram as The Survivor's Guide to Life. You can contact us, uh, Peter or myself, at 707-781-3335. We thank you so much for listening. Oh, let me add our website, www.thesurvivorsguidetolife.com.